past several years, there have been several movies on the Mission Impossible. The forerunner of those movies was a television series called Mission Impossible. The good guys were given a seemingly impossible mission to thwart or overthrow the bad guys. Uh, The actor in the old uh, series was Peter Graves. Uh, Peter Graves played the part of the cunning mission leader. And the tape, uh, he would also be given a secret audio tape to give him his message and the mission instructions. And the tape would always begin, Your mission, Mr. Phelps, should you accept, is to, and then he would be given detailed instructions for some impossible mission. And after the mission uh, message finished, the tape would self-destruct in 30 seconds. I don't know of any episode that Mr. Phelps did not accept the impossible mission. The apostles and the disciples and the early church could have considered their mission an impossible mission. And what was that? Let's turn to Acts, the first chapter, Acts 1. And Jesus had spent 40 days with his disciples and teaching them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. Acts 1 and verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They look forward to Pentecost. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But verse 8 is a key verse here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When you read through the book of Acts, you find out, indeed, through the first seven chapters or so, that the disciples did witness in Jerusalem. And then later on, Philip went to Samaria in Acts the eighth chapter. And then later on, the Apostle Paul had four missionary journeys in which he went to Asia Minor, and then finally across into Greece, or what we would might call even Europe. So they were given that mission, and that mission stands for us today to go to the end of the earth, and that may sound like an impossible mission. What other instructions did Christ give the church? You know those basic missions, but let's review them briefly. Mark the 16th chapter and verse 15. Mark 16 and verse 15. I hope you have these marked in your Bible. And he said to them, to his disciples after his uh, resurrection, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that seems like an impossible instruction to fulfill, doesn't it? To every creature. Of course, they did not at that time, so it still remains to this day. And then Matthew 28, he also gave us the other great, what is called by commentators, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starting with verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, or it should be into, the Greek word is ice, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The living church of God has been striving to fulfill those missions, and we will continue to take those instructions seriously and strive to fulfill them with all our heart. Today, I'd like you to consider your part in completing our mission. What is your personal mission? Can you define your mission? Can you state your mission clearly? The question I would like you to answer today is, what is your mission? Or to put it a little differently, what is your mission statement? And that's the title of the sermon. If we're to be effective as a church or as an individual, we need to know our mission. There are typical mission statements. Corporations and companies have them. What is a mission statement? One description is as follows. A mission statement clearly defines in a brief statement the purpose, goals, procedures, or standards of a company or individual. One uh, mission statement was given by Stephen Covey in his book, Principle-Centered Leadership. He tells the story of one company's mission statement. The statement was self-centered and broad. It was to enhance the assets of the company. In other words, we need to make ourselves rich, was the mission statement of that particular company. I hope that's not your mission statement. The YMCA mission statement is, quote, to put Christian principles into practice through programs that build healthy spirit, mind, and body for all. A very clear and good mission statement that's posted at the main entrance at the YMCA where Mr. Meredith and I and some of you exercise. I have this old clipping of another mission statement. This is from the Forshe Piano Company in Houston, Texas. It's not really a good mission statement, more of a description. Our mission statement. Twenty years ago, we started as a piano rebuilding shop. We still restore fine pianos to their original quality, but now much more of our time is spent preparing new instruments for sale and for concerts. We know how to bring out the best tone and touch in each piano. Our customers don't pay more for our hard work. They just receive more. Come in and you'll feel the difference our commitment makes. So at least they're trying to communicate a dedication to their customers. I'll give you one more mission statement, and this is from uh, iMasters Company. And uh, it states... Our mission is to provide total eye care that is unsurpassed in quality, value, service, and convenience, while increasing value to our customers, team members, and shareholders. So do you have a mission statement? What is your mission? I asked my wife last night how she would define her mission. And unhesitatingly, she said, to support the church and the work, and to become more like Christ in every way. I was just so encouraged. She didn't hesitate to give her mission. And, of course, she's commented on that. It's a paraphrase of what she said, and she's added to that even this morning when we were discussing the topic. So I was very encouraged by that because Jesus said in Matthew 12:34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I appreciate my wife's heart. We also need to know our goal in life. And Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, 
but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Uh, Dr. Meredith gave an inspiring sermon two weeks ago entitled, What is Your Real Goal? He also made a television program on that subject this past week. We need to visualize our awesome future as glorified, immortalized, born-again children of God. And as we heard in the sermonette, we saw some interesting visions of how we can help people in tomorrow's world. And we are now training to become kings and priests to rule with Christ, and part of that training is to fulfill the Great Commission. Not only do companies have missions, but nations should have missions. What is the national purpose of the United States? Do you know? Let's turn to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, Deuteronomy 4. I addressed this question in our telecast titled, Thanksgiving and Our National Purpose. What should we be doing? I think all of you would agree that as a nation, we should be giving the good news of the gospel to the rest of the world. That our national purpose should be to live God's way of life and to share that way of life with the rest of the world. Deuteronomy 4, God gave Israel this mission, and he said, starting here in uh, verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, says Moses, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the eternal our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day? That should have been the mission statement of the United States and other Western nations, to carry on God's way of life. As I said in that particular program, we need to fulfill our national purpose. John Adams, the second president of the United States, commented on the need for a moral and a religious nation. He said, quote, Our Constitution was made for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. And, of course, our nation has been failing. It is failing the morality of God's word. And it's not setting the example for the rest of the nations. We have failed in our national mission. Turn to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, Ezekiel 22. Senator Frank Carlson from Kansas gave a speech years ago titled, Wanted, a Man Who Will Stand. Maybe I'll have time to comment further on that later in the sermon. But he referred to Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. In other words, 
we need to stand in the gap. God has called us to give intercessory prayer, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, to give prayers and intercessions for kings, for magistrates, for those in authority, that we may lead a peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. And we know that the whole world would blow up, would die with uh, all kinds of weapons of mass destruction, as Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 22, that unless there were an elect on the face of the earth, no life would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So do you realize, again, the importance of God's people? That unless there were an elect, this world is going to be totally destroyed and all life on it. But the good news is that there are intercessors, there are people standing in the gap, there are a group, there is a group of people called the elect. So we see that there are company missions, there are national missions, our nation is failing in its mission. And the church has been given a mission. We mentioned those statements a little earlier. Fifteen. We just celebrated the 15th anniversary of the global living work of God. Fifteen years ago, Mr. Meredith outlined the mission for the church. In his letter of December 31st, 1992, he wrote, Dear brethren and co-workers with Christ, and he showed some of the problems that were existing in the former association, and then gave the positive mission. With God's help and guidance, we plan to, number one, preach the gospel of the soon-coming kingdom of God as a witness to all nations, Matthew 24, verse 14. Two, preach the true name of Jesus Christ, that is, the whole teaching and entire way of life Jesus taught, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Acts 28, verses 30 through 31. Number three, Preach the inspiring news about our national identity and the Ezekiel warning, which God commands us to preach to the nations of Israel. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 7. And again, I hope uh, if there were, this were my class, I would say uh, Ezekiel 33, of course, is a recognition scripture where you know that that is the Ezekiel warning. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 7. Number four, feed the flock and teach them, quote, the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, verses 25 through 31, New King James Version. So Mr. Meredith's mission statement that he gave us 15 years ago is still vibrant, still vital, and we are still vigorously supporting those missions with our whole heart, and as God gives us even more power and more resources, we keep going forward with other uh, outreach programs. Now, I might just refer you to the March-April 2006 Living Church of God, uh, Living Church News, the mission of God's church. That was last March-April 2006. And then we have sermons in our sermon library, uh, Mission Impossible, uh, number 13, which I gave about uh, seven or eight years ago. And then why our mission matters, the number 397. Now, some Church of God groups have limited their mission to something like, our mission is to prepare the bride. Well, certainly that's one of our missions, but it's not the only one. Uh, Many Church of God groups have isolated themselves from the Great Commission, and they're 
only purpose is to serve themselves or one another, and that ends up being a selfish salvation. And that's what our former association turned to, in my judgment, uh, to a selfish salvation. Mr. Armstrong wrote in Mystery of the Ages, which I'm using as a textbook for our class on Introduction to Biblical Doctrine. And I'd like to read a section from this. It's on Mystery of the Church, pages 270 and 271. The subhead is Individual Christians, quote, unquote, or end of quote, ex-members. Mr. Armstrong writes, Now what about the private or individual Christian who says, I don't want to be a part of the church. I want to seek my salvation direct and alone with Christ. The answer is this. God himself laid out the plan and the method by which humans may be, after begettal, trained and prepared to become a part of the divine personnel of born God beings that shall form the kingdom of God. He continues, The kingdom of God will be the God family, a superbly highly trained and organized family of God beings. The church is God's special school for training those he has selected and called to be trained in the church, to be kings and priests, to rule and to teach for their part in that kingdom. Only those so trained in the church will be kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Should you be an individual uh, Christian apart from the body of Christ? Mr. Armstrong continues here on page 270. The person who says, I will get my salvation alone outside of the church, is totally deceived. This is not the time when salvation is open to those in Satan's world. Those called now, I repeat emphatically, are not called just for salvation. They are called for a special training provided only in God's church. Those in Satan's world cannot train themselves outside of the church for the special calling of being rulers and teachers in God's kingdom when Satan is removed and the world has become God's world. The church is organized on God's pattern of mutual teamwork and cooperation to function perfectly together. They shall become the God family as it shall exist at the time of Christ's second coming. Remember, God is that divine family. Take an analogy from Satan's world. A football player says, I want to play in all of the games, but I will train alone. I don't want to be a part of the team until the games start. Would the coach let him be part of the team in the games without having learned teamwork during practice sessions? Neither will God let one into his family at the resurrection who refused to be part of of it now in the church in the spiritual training season. So that's on pages 270 and 271 of Mystery of the Ages. Another very excellent uh, description of those who want to separate from God's church. Remember, it comes to mind, if you want to turn there, uh, Proverbs, the 18th chapter, which has happened to so many of uh, the splinter groups, as we might call them, and to individuals. Proverbs 18 and verse 1, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. So the body of Christ is a body which into which we are placed when we receive God's Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual organism. 
So the church's mission is to prepare the bride. It is to preach the gospel to the world. It is to give the Ezekiel warning. But how is that work going to be accomplished? I didn't read that verse 18, but I'll just refer you to it, Matthew 28, 18, when Jesus said, All authority, or in the King James, all power, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. So we realize that our mission is not a human mission apart from God's guidance and his direction. We also know that in Revelation, the third chapter, that Christ is the one who opens doors and closes doors for the gospel. Christ opened the door for us of Inspiration Network, which did very well in the United States and in Great Britain and other parts of Europe. For a while, we were on that station for a year and a half. And then the door closed because some critics began complaining to the headquarters of Inspiration Network, and the door was closed on us. We had very good success on that station. But when the door closed, another door opened up, and that was Word Network. And just yesterday was the one-year anniversary since we went on Word Network. And as a result, in the past year, just on that one station alone, we've received 14,440 responses in the United States, and 430 responses in the United Kingdom, bringing the total to 14,877. And more recently, the door opened up in the United Kingdom, since we were not getting as many responses from uh, Word as we were in Inspiration. Christ opened the door of a new network called Love World, and right now it's uh, free of charge to us for the first six months. And we are averaging about 200 uh, responses on that station in the U.K. alone. So it's a very successful station and uh, a wonderful open door. But how can we be more effective in fulfilling our calling and fulfilling our mission? Let's turn to Ephesians, the uh, fourth chapter, Ephesians 4, and realize that we do have a very high calling. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 1. Paul is in prison as he writes this, and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. As we heard in the sermonette, you know, God has not called everyone in this world. And we are very privileged to have that calling and understanding. And Paul says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How? Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So when we consider our personal mission and the church's mission, we need to understand our own calling, that we are to live a life worthy of that calling. Second Thessalonians, the first chapter, also comments on our calling. Second Thessalonians, the first chapter, starting with uh, verse 11. Paul writes to the church of the Thess- Thessalonians, and this is verse 11, chapter 1, Second Thessalonians. 
Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So is the name of Christ being glorified in you? We saw those elements of humility and walking in the unity of the Spirit in the Ephesians uh, instruction. But there are barriers to being aware of our calling, and we heard uh, sermonette on that by Mr. Charles Aguin about the distractions that we have in our life. Mr. Meredith talked about that two weeks ago. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5, and I'll just follow up and reinforce that we that particular point, that we need to counteract distractions. We need to redeem the time. And here in Ephesians 5, verse 15, we've had sermonettes and sermons on the subject. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we want to make good use of the time. And you're making good use of the time right now, being here as the snow starts falling. So I think you probably noticed or have not noticed, but uh, the uh, rain that we had has now turned into a beautiful snowfall. Uh, we need to pray for those who uh, went out to other churches, to Anderson and Asheville, uh, Ashboro, and uh, some other locations. So uh, pray that they can get home safely into Chattanooga, uh, and other areas. But we do need to redeem the time. There are those distractions. And uh, I want to have a couple quotes here on the busy life. This is from Berkeley sociologist Todd Gitlin. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, people are submitting themselves to time-devouring technology. We are a nerve-wracked society where people have difficulty sitting back and thinking of the purpose of what they do. So there are those multitaskers who think they're getting a lot done, but do they take time off to just think and meditate and take a little time off? It uh, reminds me of, uh, of Zitz. Jeremy, the teenager, and his girlfriend were sitting at a coffee shop, and they each had their laptops facing each other, and they're click-click working on their, their laptops and uh, drinking coffee, and they finally conclude and said, uh, that was fun. We'll have to do that again sometime. <laughs> not spoken, not a word spoken between them, but they, they had fun in their laptops at the coffee shop. Yes, technology uh, produces inter- interesting uh, interactions or non-interaction. Robert Banks from the Tyranny of Time when 24 hours is not enough wrote the following, quote, those who are caught up in the busy life have neither the time nor the quiet to come to understand themselves and their goals. Well, God gives us the Sabbath so that we can understand ourselves and our goals. And we pray about our life mission. Since the opportunity for inward attention hardly ever comes, many people have not heard from themselves for a long time. Those who are always on the run never meet anyone anymore, not even themselves. End of quote. But thankfully, God has given us the way and the commandment that we can have peace and meditation 
and personal quiet time. But those are barriers to awareness. And, of course, Mr. Rod McNair had a commentary on uh, our, in our latest LCN on the busy life. Hope you've uh, read that. So how else can we fulfill our individual mission as God's people and disciples of Christ? We need to have an awareness of our calling. We need to be aware of the barriers to that awareness. And thirdly, we need to remember who we are. If you fulfill your calling and mission in life, you need to remember who you are. I remember in 1977 at the St. Petersburg Feast of Tabernacles in uh, Florida, a minister gave a comment I wrote down as a quotable quote, QQ, as I do in my notes uh, quite frequently. Jesus never forgot who he was. That quotable quote has stuck with me ever since. Because sometimes teenagers and young people do, do forget who they are. They play the class clown or they uh, degrade themselves uh, by just going along with peer pressure. But children need to remember who they are, that they are their children of their parents who are most likely in God's church and represent a way of life that far transcends the foolishness of the world. So who are you and what are you? I won't turn there, but you know Second Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. And as ambassadors for God's work, we need to be knowledgeable of God's work. I've encouraged you before to know the telecast times in your local area so you can tell others. You know that here in Charlotte that uh, we have WGN on our cable at 6 a.m., and then that's Channel 19, and then uh, Channel 10 is WAXN uh, at uh, 7 o'clock, uh, we get the telecast Sunday mornings on cable, and then Monday evenings on cable at 7.30, channel 18, WHKY, where we get the telecast. Now, I hope all of you in Charlotte know that, so that any time you meet someone who is a friend or someone in the restaurant, as Mr. Meredith and I did one time, and this man recognized Mr. Meredith and walked over to him and said, oh, I recognize you, Mr. Meredith, you're on television, and um, Mr. Meredith said, uh, well, do you know we've just gone on a new station here in Charlotte? He went ahead and told them uh, how to get to, to see the telecast on another station. So you're ambassadors for Christ, and you need to be knowledgeable of the telecast, knowledgeable of the publications. If you're not reading the publications, uh, how can you help others? Let's always remember that you represent the work of God. Let's turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. And again, recognize a descriptor of who you are and what you are. I think you know where I'm headed here. Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by man. Uh, my wife and I uh, are able to get some... Uh, Salt that comes from the coast of France, from Brittany, is called Celtic sea salt. And it's unprocessed and supposed to have all kinds of trace minerals in it. And we, we enjoy putting that on our food. And it does make a difference sometimes. So we are the salt of the earth. We preserve with the salt as a preservative, but it also adds spice and taste to our meals. And we are the salt of the earth, he says. 
And then he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor does the light, they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And how many times have we received letters of commendation from business people at our Feast of Tabernacles site saying, your people are honest, your people are polite, your children are so well behaved. Uh, and uh, We are very encouraged when we get those comments. We are the light of the world. And of course, we can turn down that light sometimes, and that's uh, not the best behavior or example. And being a part of that light of the world is to love our neighbor as ourselves. As we heard in the sermonette, that we need to understand our neighbors and we need to give to them and to feel their pain and have compassion. What else are we besides ambassadors and salt and light? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians 12. Know your identity and who and what you are. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter and verse 27. He's talking about the body and that if one member suffers, all members suffer with it in verse 26. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So we belong to that spiritual organism called the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians, the uh, 6th chapter, 2 Corinthians 6, and verse 17, if we turn over a few pages, and I hope you have this marked also in your Bible, just very inspiring and encouraging. It gives, should give you comfort and uh, assurance. We'll start with verse 17 in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. Therefore, and he's quoting from the Scripture, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God Almighty calls us sons and daughters. We know the Apostle John said, What manner of love has God bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God? That's in 1 John, the third chapter. Let's turn to Luke, the 14th chapter. So we are sons and daughters. We are the body of Christ. We are salt. We are light. We are ambassadors. Uh, Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke 14. And we are also students of Christ. That is, a disciple of Christ. Here in Luke 14 and uh, verse 26, you know this is the counting the cost section. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We normally counsel those who are interested in baptism, this particular section of Scripture, and there are three cannots in there. Now, we will be observing Passover on Friday, April 18th, that, that night. And we will be making uh, new commitments. We'll be examining ourselves. We'll want to, again, read through this section of Scripture and realize, have I really dedicated myself, as Christ said here, if we come to Him, are we going to fulfill this commitment? 
The three cannots are that you cannot be his disciple if you love other human beings more than he, than him. And then the next uh, cannot here in Luke uh, 14 is verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, some people have burdens that they have to bear and are just kind of struggling bearing those burdens. But Christ says you have to do more than that. Not just bear the burden, but come after him. You need to be active in following him. Later on here at the end of this particular chapter, after he discusses the counting of the cost, he says in verse 33, the third cannot. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever you of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Forsake all that you have. What do you have? Anything that is more important to you than God is something you need to forsake. And you need to identify those false gods, if any of us have them. And sometimes we put the wrong priorities and uh, we are diminishing our relationship with, with Christ. So we need to again realize we are disciples of Christ and we fulfill His instruction to us. So if we are fulfilling our calling and our mission in life, we need to always remember who we are. And be sure to listen to Mr. Meredith's sermon, uh, Who Are You? That was sermon number 378. And also sermon number 121, Will You Be a Servant Leader? Maybe that would be a part of your mission statement. And of course, the living leadership classes are helping us to be servant leaders. Now, I want to again ask you, what is your mission statement? We've discussed several possibilities. And, of course, a mission statement should motivate you. Now, what is your mission? I want you at this time, I'm going to give you 60 seconds, to write down a sentence or two that exemplifies your mission. And for those of you not taking notes, at least formulate a sentence or two in your own mind. What is your mission? Thank you. As I said, I was just so encouraged that my wife unhesitatingly answered that question last evening when I asked her, and I hope that all of you can as well. There are several possibilities. Of course, you can say, well, the whole Bible is my mission statement, and I would be tempted to do that. But Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, and Matthew 6.33, of course, Mr. Meredith gave the sermon two weeks ago on what is your goal. But let's take a look at another possible mission statement, Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12. I've thought about this personally recently, because every time there's something that is a duty or a responsibility, and I'm saying every time, once in a while, um, there is a particular duty I need to perform, and I say, no, I'd, I'd rather be doing something else. And I have to remember this scripture to be a living sacrifice that I need to sacrifice my life 
by time to fulfill this particular responsibility or mission or service. Romans, the 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, when you look at, read through the book of Leviticus, and you see all of the animal sacrifices that they had, whether it was with a dove or with a bullock or a, a goat, uh, they were, these were bloody sacrifices. And yet God wants us to be a living sacrifice. Of course, those sacrifices were all symbolic of Christ's sacrifice. But he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, we need to renew our mind. God gives us the Sabbath to do that that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Reminds me of uh, a line from the hymn, the battle hymn of the Republic. Uh, Let us live to make men free. We are to be living sacrifices. Another mission statement you might have referred to is Colossians 3.17. I know one of our deacons gave a sermonette on that here one time, I believe. Colossians 3, verse 17. Because it has to do with your full lifetime. It isn't uh, like the Protestant idea that, well, we, we uh, go to the church once a week for one hour a week and we've fulfilled our duties. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 3. You realize that what Paul is saying here amounts to a 24-7 consciousness. 24-7, for those who may not know, means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are some businesses that call themselves 24-7. Well, we're 24-7 if we follow Colossians 3 and verse 17, where Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So what is it that you wouldn't do in the name of the Lord? I think sometimes I'm shaving. You know, am I doing this to God's honor and glory? I'm brushing my teeth. Is this uh, to God's honor and glory? Well, it should be because it's fulfilling general health laws and uh, to honor God. Then he continues in verse, well, verse 17, I think, is what um, I wanted to emphasize here. So, 24 hours a day, something that we should be doing and thinking in terms of our lifestyle and perhaps our worries, our anxieties, our offenses, our sins. Let's take a look here at verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It reminds us of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which... Also, you were called in one body, and be thankful. Yes, we need to be conscious of our calling and our mission 24-7. Let's look at a couple other possible mission statements that are 
designated by scriptures, Micah, the sixth chapter. Micah. Start with Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. That's the way I find those in the minor prophets. Just say it fast and you can memorize it quickly. Micah, the sixth chapter. Micah 6 and verse 8. And uh, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you do not have this particular scripture highlighted or marked in your Bible? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the eternal require of you? Three things, to do justly, and of course each of these is worth a sermon, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So think about that. Is that your life mission? Is that something that you think about, that you're trying to practice in all that you do? Turn to Philippians, the second chapter. Go look at a couple more. These Philippians, the second chapter. Remember who you are and remember your mission. Philippians 2 and verse 14, I emphasized this in a recent sermon. I think it was in the sermon, Are You a Problem or Are You a Solution? Philippians 2 verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing. And again, uh, I'll ask you, uh, have you been successful, everyone in here been successful in doing that last week without ever complaining or disputing for the last seven days? Don't raise your If anyone raises his hand, I'm going to be shocked. <clears throat> okay. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Are you shining as that light in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain? So we have to hold fast to the word of life and do things without complaining and disputing and to be setting the right example as lights in the world. Philippians 3 and verse 12 We talked about our high calling earlier. Philippians 3 and verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Are you pressing on? Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have an upward call, or as the King James has it, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have a very, very high calling. We need to be aware of that and avoid the distractions. So in summarizing this section, the keys to fulfilling our individual mission. Number one was, have an awareness of your calling. Number two was, counteract the barriers to your awareness and redeem the time. Because there are barriers that will distract you from your mission. Number three, remember who you are. Let's turn now to uh, Colossians, the first chapter, 
Colossians 1. God has called us to fulfill missions and to be faithful in those missions. The Apostle Paul wrote to the brethren at Colossae, and we would hope that Mr. Meredith could write to the local, your, our local congregation, or tell us as a local congregation and other congregations, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. He also says the same thing in uh, writing to the Ephesians. He says, uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. We have a mission to fulfill our calling, and we must exercise faith, vision, courage. Dr. Winnale gave a sermon on courage last week, and we need to be faithful in our commitment. But God's work has always been a work of faith, but the world is unfaithful. Nearly 40 years ago, Senator Frank Carlson from Kansas, as I mentioned earlier, addressed the Senate Breakfast Group. His message was so impressive that United States News and World Report magazine printed excerpts from that in its July 1st, 1968 issue. Uh, Senator Carlson's analysis of the nation's moral condition sounds as if he were giving the speech today. It's a little lengthy, but I'm going to read from his speech. His title, Wanted, A Man Who Will Stand. He writes, well, actually he spoke, but these are experts, excerpts from his address to the Senate Breakfast Group. Quote, Modern Americans have accepted and are tolerating conditions never before permitted by any generation of our ancestors. This is July 1968. Never have so many hated on such flimsy cause. Never have so many denounced so many with such little knowledge. Never has the dollar been as important as it is today. Never has wild pleasure or physical abandonment been considered fitting human behavior as it is today. Never have public officials been so brazen and open in seeking the vote of the people through promises of things that are morally and spiritually wrong. Never have ministers of the gospel turned their pulpits and their pastoral duties toward direction of the social order to the near exclusion of the salvational order as abounds in our time. In that same 22nd chapter of Ezekiel that I read later about standing earlier, about standing in the gap, the prophet speaks of Israel's religious leaders in these words. Quote, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Senator Carlson continues, Israel's religious leaders of that earlier time would be appalled to observe what is transpiring in the churches of God today. Even the daily press, notoriously indifferent to religious news, reports a few lines on the inner and back pages that tell us clearly how growing numbers of Americans treat holy things with irreverence and sacred things with contempt. Not only have vast numbers of Americans lost all sense of the sacred, the moral, and the ethical, but the spiritual leaders from both the laity and the priesthood are often found in the forefront of this irreligious pursuit of comfort rather than conviction, of accommodation rather than truth, of the pleasant life rather than the meaningful life. 
If God is to have men who will stand in the gap and hold back the flood of destructive emotional and spiritual forces, we must first understand the nature of the problem and why things are the way they are. He talks about three forces, which I won't read here, but they are basically that the nation has accepted a doctrine of universal conformity, that is, to world leaders. Uh, Secondly, that the doctrine of change for the sake of change. And thirdly, the doctrine of universal criticism. So he discusses each of those, but he concludes with this inspiring section. And while he says we are looking for men, I think you women can understand that when he says we are looking for a man, we're also looking for a woman. He writes, these three doctrines, universal conformity, universal change, and universal criticism, have left our nation without moorings or anchors. We are being tossed about in the sea of doubt and uncertainty that is about to sink the ship of God before our very eyes. The world today is looking for men who are not for sale, men who are honest, sound from center to circumference, true to the heart's core. Men with consciences as steady as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right if the heavens totter and the earth reels. Men who can tell the truth and look the world right in the eye. Men who neither brag nor run. Men who neither flag nor flinch. Men who can have courage without shouting it. Men in whom the courage of everlasting life runs still deep and strong. Men who know their message and tell it. Men who know their place and fill it. Men who know their business and attend to it. Men who do not lie, shirk, or dodge. Men who are not lazy, not, not too lazy to work, nor too proud to be poor. Men who are willing to eat what they have earned and wear what they have paid for. Men who are not ashamed to say no with emphasis and who are not ashamed to say, I can't afford it. God is looking for men. He wants those who can unite together around a common faith, who can join hands in a common task, and who have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God, give us men. That was 40 years ago, brethren. And God is giving the world men and women of faith, and you and I and God's people are those people. We need to fulfill our mission. So think about your high calling and your mission. Have you wholeheartedly and enthusiastically accepted your life work, your life calling, and your mission? As you know, one of the keys to spiritual growth that we have observed and Mr. Armstrong observed years ago is having one's heart in the work of God. Mr. Herbert Armstrong wrote in a co-worker letter, mentioned at other times, but August 28, 1967, for example, he wrote, quote, And I repeat again, in 33 and one-half years of this work, I have noticed that those who grow spiritually are those whose hearts and interests are in the work, God's work, carried on from Pasadena headquarters. So I hope and we know that with the income this past year that God's people have had their hearts in the work. And we're very blessed that this last report we had yesterday from Mr. Ruddleston, uh, an increase in co-workers and donors, 
as a result, perhaps, of the semiannual letter. And we're very thankful for those God is calling to be a part of the harvest and the work. God has called us to be a witness to the end of the world. He's called us to prepare the world and the church and ourselves for the kingdom of God. We all need to accomplish our mission. And you can accomplish your mission impossible. Turn to, well, I don't have it here, but Jesus said, and turn to John 4, verse 34. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And then in John 4, verse 34, he certainly had his heart in the work. He knew his purpose, and he fulfilled his purpose. My food, he said, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So, brethren, thank God for your calling. Remember who you are. Accept your mission with enthusiasm. And remember Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through God, through Christ who strengthens me, even impossible missions. You can, you can accomplish your mission impossible.